Welcome, listeners of the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast. I'm going to dispense with my normal introduction this time. I'm, this is going to be a little bit different episode. I am here at the National Gathering of CEF. CEF stands for Christians Engaged in Faith Formation. It used to stand for um, Christians... Help me out. Christian Educators Fellowship. Christian Educators Fellowship. I thank you. For some reason, I blanked on that. And you can tell I've got some wonderful participants here with me. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We are, as I said, we're at the CEF conference in Des Moines, Iowa. It is really cold outside. I'm not going to lie. Being a Southern boy, it's really cold. Anyway, with that, I'm going to let Lynn and Kim introduce themselves. I'm Lynn Smith. I am Director of Education at North Georgia Family Counseling Centers and Associate Pastor at Mount Carmel United Methodist Church in Norcross, Georgia. And I'm Kim Rindle. I am the Director of Intergenerational Youth and Children's Discipleship at, at uh, Coke's Chapel United Methodist Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. Well, I'm really appreciative that y'all would join me. Y'all are people who I met years ago at CEF in North Georgia. So we've, we've known each other for a while. Y'all have been very helpful to me and y'all have taught me a lot. So I appreciate your willingness to, to do this. So my first question to y'all is, as we've been here for three or four days now, you've been to workshops, we've gotten to hear uh, various plenary speakers. What have you picked up on that's new or challenging uh, or encouraging about small group ministry? Yes, one of the things that that struck me is um, the idea of using technology to leverage what we're doing. So, um, you know, keep doing what we're doing, especially for meeting in small groups, but we don't have to, we're not limited by space and mm. time and location yeah. that we can find both and solutions where we both gather and then we offer content that people can, um, can consume while they're waiting to pick up kids from, soccer practice and consume in different ways and schedule online conversations. And, and so we, we kind of do a blend of meeting people where they are sharing relevant, important content and forming community and connection. So it's, yeah, that's really good. I want to add a little bit to that or mm-hmm. talk more about that because it becomes a matter of being limited by our imagination, right? I mean, there was a time when it cost lots of money to produce that content and to share that content and now it's we can do almost all of it on our phones, right? right? I mean, we can, uh, whether video or audio, and then share it on churches' websites so that that content becomes asynchronic, right? I like to use big words every once in a while just to show that I have degrees, right? That, <laughs> <laughs> that we did something at some point in time, right. right? But then we can share it and, and learn from it at a different point in time with different people. So, yeah, very, very good, Lynn. I appreciate you sharing that. Kim? Yeah, I think very similar to what Lynn was saying is just the idea that using uh, the digital world to enhance small groups, Mm. um, that not only with parents, like trying to meet people where they are. I know the youth that I work with, um, they just have demanding lives. There's a lot of of stress on them with school and extra activities. And I think about things that I would love to be um, exposing them to in terms of just questions to raise or they have a curiosity about something. In fact, I interviewed them and have them fill out a sheet recently of, you know, what are you interested in? What questions do you have about your faith? What do you want to learn more about? Hmm. And how to engage those points that they raised in ways that I don't have to set up another class. I don't have to set up another 
thing that we've got to come to the church to be part of, that what I could do is I could do it in the form of a podcast mm. or um, a webinar. I can develop a, a page online and give them links to resources um, that that they can do because they're in that digital world already. Mm-hmm. And so, and then once they've been exposed to that, then when we come together face to face, then we can talk about something that they've already been exposed to. So I don't have to eat up all the time in presenting the information That's right. that they can already be engaged with the information before we meet. And so that just gives a whole other level of depth to the component in the world that they already exist in. And so I think, and just like Lynn was saying too, with the parents, you know, record something, offer it in a podcast form when they're sitting in that car and they're waiting, then they can listen to it. Yeah. So when we're thinking about uh, family and parent, and their faith, faith formation, that it's just uh, the digital world offers us a lot of opportunity in yes. ways that we're not taking advantage of. And I think there's a whole huge realm out there that we need to start really um, engaging. Yeah, absolutely. And, and being willing to experiment with. Yeah. Right? The, the yeah. idea is flipping the classroom. right? In a traditional classroom, you have a lecture and you go home and you do homework. In the flip classroom, you are doing the lecture or the learning at home and you come to work and do work there. Right. Right, and we do the same thing where you well, on a podcast or a TED Talk or whatever, you forward that to them via email. Let's watch it. Come to class, and you jump right into conversation and maximize that in-person time. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Really helpful. I know one of the things that I heard that we, we we've been blessed to hear John Roberto. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Roberto always challenges me with intergenerational stuff. Yes. Um, I, I know you were talking a little bit. I'll let you say something first, and then I'll build on it. Maybe we'll do that about uh, intergenerational opportunities in the church. Yeah. Well, because that's one thing I've heard loud and clear um, mm. from listening to, to John Roberto's talks is that intergenerational experiences where people's faith really gets sticky, where mm, you know, they okay. really take it into their future and it stays with them. And so I'm, I'm kind of learning to let go a bit of my, my mindset that small groups have to be you know, uniformly, all 30 mm. somethings, all parents, all anyone thing. All by life stage. Yeah. Right. That we can, we can gather a group of people together and you know, the, it, diversity is, is a wonderful thing and we can learn from each other. And that, that, that is a way that, that small groups can develop that I hadn't really thought of before. Okay. So I'm excited about those possibilities, um, especially thinking about things like parents. Mm-hmm. What a great opportunity to blend parents and grandparents mm. um, and talking about how we care for our children. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I picked up on, a specific example that John gave that I hadn't thought of. One of the things we've tried to push the last couple of episodes has been the connection between worship and small groups and making those connect together and what happens in worship spills over into small groups. And one of the things he mentioned was a theme for a month yeah. in worship, yeah. but then once a month come together as families and have a, a intergenerational small group based on that that worship theme. Right. So that was a great idea of doing it, A, intergenerationally. B, doesn't take up a lot of time, right? Mm-hmm. We can just come together and hit the theme that we've been worshiping with, right? And so I thought that was a really neat, very practical idea of doing intergenerational small groups based on a theme. And again, it's not like you got to create a lot of curriculum. You don't have to buy anything, right. write up some simple questions, break, break into groups, and go. Right, and he's talked a lot about curating curriculum. So yeah. the, the content that you develop for one environment 
leveraging that into mm -hmm. other environments. So you can leverage the, the content for worship into small group events. Yeah, and the thing that keeps coming up, I think, is the concept of family being faith family. Mm. So it doesn't have to be your biological or nuclear family. It just right. has to be your faith family so that you've got um, the people that have been, that are the the wisdom keepers of the church mm. that have been there for a long time, that have stories to share, that they are present with the young people that are, you know, young children or teenagers that need to hear, you know, those stories. And so um, that we gather as a faith family mm. and that those different ages, it's just very affirming because that's one of the things in the work that I do because I'm in a smaller church that we've had to go to an intergenerational model out of necessity, okay. knowing that it was actually a very positive thing to be doing. And so um, we now we have intergenerational worship on Sunday morning. We have intergenerational Sunday school, even though we mm. still have some adult classes, but we offer all of our children's and youth um, Sunday school is part of an intergenerational class because it was out of necessity that we do it that way. And I can tell you that they really enjoy meeting and the people I think they get the most out of it are the adults learning mm, from the kids. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's that whole idea that small groups don't have to be delineated according to age groups, Yeah, that there's a lot to be gained and it's actually a yeah. very positive thing uh, within our faith families to mm. gather together for learning. So everyone is a learner and everyone is a teacher um, in those contexts. Okay, good. That's helpful. So let me transition then a little bit, because as I've said, I've learned a lot from both of you. So I just want to glean some wisdom, some more wisdom from you and, and share that with the listener. So if, as y'all have done small groups and you've experienced small groups, what's one or two best practices that you've seen, been a part of, that you would share for, for the listeners? Can you think of any particular tips, ideas that would be helpful? One of the things that I learned, I actually learned from you. Okay. Um, and it comes from the, the vibrant faith, the cards and the pictures, oh, yeah. the photos. Um, because I, my experience of small groups is it was taking about six weeks for mm. people to kind of get to a vulnerable space where they were willing to authentically share their stories. You can do that in six weeks. Oh, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it takes so long for a lot of groups, so I'm it, just kind of messing with you there. It really does. But those vibrant faith, the, the okay. photos offer a way to get to emotional levels in a safe environment. It's just a great way to connect to the emotion of whatever you're presenting. And it seems to happen so much faster. So I, I love using those in a small group setting. That makes sense. Over, over intellectualize things. Right. And it, it's yeah. just, a, it's a way of connecting where people kind of start at the emotional response because those, mm. those photos just get you there. And, um, you know, when you ask them to, to pick something that represents, you know, whatever your topic is for you, yeah. it's, it's kind of a low threat way of getting there. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kim, any practical ideas you'd like to share? Yeah, I think one of the best lessons I've learned through facilitating small groups has been setting the tone in the first class 
um, to make sure that we're all in agreement of how we are going, how we're going to be when we're together. Mm, yeah. um, and so, you know, what are our guidelines for how we relate to one another? How do we have these discussions yeah. and laying that out from the very first class? And what I have is a, a list of what's called ground rules for mm -hmm. a small group discussion. Good. And, um, and each group, or the group, uh, the small group, is given a set of these ground rules, and we go through them one by one, and I ask, is there anything that you would add, anything you would delete, anything that you would change? Okay. And so they have an opportunity to take ownership oh, of that good. list. Yeah. And by the end of that process, then we all agree, okay, these will be our ground rules, and um, everyone will have a chance to help the facilitator or leader, you know, me, if I'm leaving the class, say, this, these are ours, so we have to work mm -hmm. together to make yeah. sure that we're all following these. So it's not just for me to implement these, but we've agreed on them. And there are simple things like, you know, seek first to understand and mm -hmm. then to be understood, or um, for when you have the person in the class that likes to monopolize the conversation, oh, one yeah. of them is, um, I agree, we agree that we will let at least two other people speak before I speak again. Yeah. Um, and then to create a safe space for people who don't like to share and a, uh, in a larger group setting, even when it's just like eight or ten people, sometimes people don't like to talk, that I something like as the leader, the leader will never call on anyone personally, but also the group members agree mm -hmm. that they will not do this as, as well. Because sometimes you get friends in a class and, you know, Janet will turn to Jane and say, Jane, tell us that story about that. And maybe <laughs> Jane didn't want to tell that story. Um, yeah. Or uh, spouses are notorious for this. Oh, yeah, by putting the that. spouse on the spot and saying, you know about this, tell them what you think about it. Yeah. And maybe they didn't want to do that. Yeah. And so in order to create safe space, we agree that we will all follow these guidelines. Mm -hmm. And when you set the tone, I find that it doesn't alleviate struggles because yeah. sometimes, like I've just recently had a group, you know, we did this re week one and then on week two, things kind of got out of control and, sure. and people good. weren't following the guidelines. Um, and so, but if you set that up and mo in most cases, yeah. it gives you a standard for how do we relate to one another in Christian community, and big things like um, differences of opinion are okay, but mm. name-calling or stereotyping is not. Yeah. Um, you speak for yourself only and not as the representative of any group. Mm. That's important. Um, that yeah. Is. And so these kinds of things. And if there's a disagreement, if someone offends you, then please approach them in a respect, respectful way and say so and say why. Mm. And we talk about, you know, it's not okay to leave the class and let something fester and get, you know, more and more angry over something. <laughs> sure. And then that yeah. causes division among the group, but to respect each other enough to where you just go up to the person and say, you know, maybe I didn't understand what you meant when you said this, yeah. or when you said this, this hurt my feelings. And then allow the person to speak to it, because a lot of times they don't even know they did that. Yeah. And so um, it's just very simple ways of being in community with one another that we think about before we start the process. Mm. And then you, in going through that and laying that down, then it gives people an understanding and you build on that from the beginning and it sets a tone for yeah. where you move from there together. Yeah. I think that's really critical because we're not trained that way. Yeah. Right? We don't have a lot of formation in how to have a small group conversation 
in a Christian manner with Christian values. And in the workshop I just led, one of the persons referred to the three before me rule. You said two. Mm-hmm. They have a three before me. So yeah. three people have talked before I get to talk, which I think is a helpful way to do it just because it's easy to memorize. Yeah, that, I think that's really helpful for people just to be conscious of listening. One of the things that David Melton taught me, David, who's also in North Georgia and a good mentor of mine, you know, he, he said in a class that I was leading, and I thought I was doing a pretty good job with it, <laughs> until he showed me afterwards, he wrote down everyone's, every participant's name, and then he put a tick next to their name every time they talked. And I thought I had done pretty well with this. And then when he showed it to me, I had to come to grips that there were a couple of people who kind of monopolized the conversation, yeah. and I didn't realize it. And here I thought I was doing good. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not natural, right? I mean, even trained facilitators don't do this completely well. So right. we need... It'd help with that. Yeah, so probably a good idea to have somebody in the group kind oh, of help good. help that. Yeah. Um, to just help you know help Monitor. get feedback on our, our facilitation skills. And one of the other thing it's I've been in groups where I have the kind of the flip issue. It's not people monopolizing, but mm. people who are you know, the whole group's a little quiet. And oh, yeah. so I've had to to learn to be okay with silence mm-hmm. and mm. you know, some yeah. some gaps to give yep. people the opportunity to formulate their thoughts and yeah. Um, and me not in interjecting and continuing to add content when people just need time. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things I do in certain situations is I'll ask a question, and bef- before I ask it, I'll say, once I'm done asking the question, I'm going to give a minute of silence. And I'll have on my phone Perfect. a timer, and I'll say, all right, now that I've asked a question, I want you to think about it for a minute. No one gets to talk for a minute. People like me that's who are internalized idea. processors, you know, we're sitting there thinking, and thinking while people are talking, which means we're not listening. <laughs> we're thinking about what we're supposed to be right. saying. Mm-hmm. And it injects some silence, right? And one of the things I try to make the point of, how do we hear the Holy Spirit if we're always talking? Right, so it becomes another way to... Well, and it's a great way to model for people the process of just slowing things down, especially if you're right. having intense conversations, yeah. to, to model what it's like to slow down a conversation so that you can think through things before you speak. That's a... Mm-hmm. It's a great, great takeaway. Yeah, I think silence is always a challenge, and that it actually is one of the things on the list of ground rules is, is we're okay with silence. Mm, that's good. And so um, name it up front. Yeah, just name it up front. And I often say as a facilitator that I can put a question out there, and I'm really, really comfortable with letting it hang there for a long time. (laughs) And what you find is that... I can be more uncomfortable than you can. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And what's so interesting is that if you'll let it stay there, somebody in that group is going to feel so uncomfortable that eventually they will say something. So the silence will be broken. You can trust that. Absolutely. Um, But I... Another thing that I have learned is that um, not everyone is comfortable speaking, even in a group of five or six people. That's true. Right. So how do you engage those that um, might have some great wisdom to share, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to do it in the large group and you still want them to be involved and engaged? And somebody can be engaged without talking. True. Um, but we want to provide or facilitate. It's our job to create yep. environments right. where learning can occur. And so um, I find that doing that in groups that are of multiple sizes, like sometimes you have pairs. You say, okay, mm-hmm. for this question, find a partner. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you say, okay, now we're going to do this in groups of three or four. Mm-hmm. And then you have time where you share things and you discuss them in the whole group. And so you have to do it in many different ways in order to get those different levels of engagement so that people 
depending on who you are and what your personality is like and that you have an opportunity to engage the group in a way yeah. that you're comfortable with. One of the things you said reminded me of another colleague of ours, and that's Chris Barbary, who talks about um, you know, setting the stage for learning to happen. That we can't make learning happen. Right. And I think that's helpful to remember, remember that we can't force it, but we can set the stage for it. Right. And we're mindful of the covenant and putting people in the groups. We're just more mindful of helping people to, to learn. Anyway, I think that that's always a helpful reminder to me that I can't make it happen. Right. <laughs> I think, point. Yeah, I think that's great because I know I learned um, a long time ago, back when I was uh, facilitating some disciple classes, okay. and uh, that it wasn't up for, to me to bring certain outcomes. Mm. that you go into a small group as a facilitator and creating an environment. And it's more a term that I learned along the way was constructive learning. Okay. That you bring the tools and you set the environment and then you put the tools in the center Mm. and people pick up the tools and they build something together that they never could have constructed alone. And so the outcomes are not predetermined. You go in, and I remember going to classes to facilitate something and just saying a prayer, Lord, I have no idea what you are going to bring out of this time when we're together today. But I know that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you were there. So help me to free Mm. this group Mm. and to be present to you and to be amazed by whatever you bring forth and that you build something, you know, the Holy Spirit builds something beautiful among all of us together that we ha- we have no idea. So that's what's exciting. It is. It's exciting that you don't know what's going to come out of that time that you spent together. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Parker Palmer's The Courage to Teach, mm-hmm. which was very revolutionary to me because he talks about the way we're usually operating the teachers at the center. Right, yeah. And he says God's at the center and the teachers only outside helping the participants towards God. You know, the teacher's sort of outside that circle, pushing people, and God's at the center of it. And that's it was just revolutionary for me to think about what's happening in a small group. And I think you named it very well. Same, same, use different words, but the same idea. So that's great. Well, this, you got no, something else? I was just saying, the key is to be excited about that because yeah. sometimes, you know, you can go in places you're not prepared for. Oh, and true. it's okay to say, you know, I, I don't know. Let's go figure some stuff out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, it's the courage. Yeah. Yes. It yes. does. It takes real courage to put God in the center and not us. <laughs> I, have a, I have a whole lot more control when I'm, I'm in the center. Yes. Right? But that doesn't mean what God wants to happen will happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. scary. So this has been great. Y'all been just, I really appreciate you taking some time to do this. This is going to be really good for the listeners, I'm sure. Uh, so thanks. So for the listeners, we want to say thank you to you. You can engage with us on uh, on our website. You can uh, engage with me on Twitter. I'm at Rev Scott's Tweets. Also at UMC Adult Form for adult formation. Are, are either of y'all on Twitter? Yes, couldn't tell you why. <laughs> okay. I'm not quite that. Okay, fair enough. On That's point. fine. Uh, so tell us what you, more of uh, topics, challenges you're having with small groups. We'd love to interact. Uh, So until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.